Hey guys, welcome back to Who Watches the Watchers. My name is Ian. And this is Kenny. And this week we're talking about Coda by Simon Spurrier and Matthias Begara. Um, who does the colors? Do you have that? Yeah, you can pull it up the page. Oh, okay, here it is. Um, but uh, the colors, oh, color assists by uh, Michael Doig and lettered by Colin Bell. Um, the colors in this book are phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let, so, yeah, I mean, let's get into this book. It's uh, It came out, I think, 2018. It's 12 issues. Um, and is it a complete story? Do you yeah. feel like the ending is, that's it? No, I definitely think this is it. And it's yeah. a complete story. Um, I think this is kind of all they had in mind for, yeah, what they were writing. Uh, with, yeah. You know, uh, what I believe it's Simon Spurrier. You know? Oh, it is. Yeah, I oh. believe so. Oh, okay. So yeah. Um, well, sorry, Simon. No worries. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure he worked for the BBC. Did you know that? I looked a little bit back on both of their kind of work after this mm-hmm. book because I honestly was incredibly surprised by this book. This is actually like the exact kind of thing I wanted to be reading for our podcast. Oh, I'm really? Not gonna lie, I wanted something that felt like different and fresh and something that we could like genuinely mm-hmm. talk about and have like, you know, that was something that's like a little bit different from the norm of things we've kind of read in the past or, yeah. you know, nothing we picked up for. And this was definitely different and yeah. unique. And, uh, I loved a lot about it. I mean, it was very like anti-Tolkien kind of is something oh, that I okay. took away from it. It's very fantastical, but I felt mm-hmm. like it was very like, let's have Frodo marry an orc, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not to, yeah, to dive yeah. into it, it'll just like too heavy right out the gate, but, um, let's talk about the um, characters a little bit. Oh, well, yeah, go ahead. Um, and so, yeah, I just was really, um, surprised by like, uh, how kind of dense the first issue felt and then, but how much I still really fell in, you know, found my place and fell into it. You know what yeah. I mean? I was almost like intimidated by the first few pages, you know? And yeah. then after a while, I was just like, oh no, this is, cause it kind of just great... tosses you right into there. Absolutely. Um, the first issue I believe is a double issue. It was like 40 something pages. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about the characters a little bit. We have the main character who is for the most part, nameless. They call him Hum. Hum, I believe is yeah, what yeah. I guess his name would kind of be. I thought at first it was like the Mark Crone. I thought that was like a, you're like calling him Hume, you know, like because oh. he was like the one human around. And then I know, but like, I guess yeah, his name would be, I guess, Hum. Because yeah. he kind of just, hmm, to everything he does. He's just you know? the bard in yeah, the story. He, and I he love is a that. bard. Um, he rides around on a pentacorn, which is fucking sick i love this fucking he calls him a nag oh god i love that horse the yeah he's that that horse is dope the nag yeah, yeah. that's what he goes by yeah and it's so it's sick i mean and i feel like a lot of the that was like where they had a lot, a lot of fun drawing in mm-hmm. this comic too it's like one shot to the next the pentacorn yeah the nag yeah. is nuts you know like you know uh, i wanted to show you this my my phone background is actually by Matthias Bergara. Oh, look at that. You can definitely see the similarity. Yeah, the it's, it's a Spider-Man holding up the, uh, the falling like walls with mm-hmm. water and all that stuff. I think it was a commission he did, but I loved it so much. I, I had to slap it on my, it's been my background for a long time. Um, but I mean, I'd never read Coda until just, just now for the podcast. Um, who are some other characters we can talk about? There is so there's Circa, his wife, yes, who is you know a big surprise, and then we have the uh, part of the Urkin, yeah, the part of the Urkin, you know, yeah. is the big plot twist of this whole book. You know, is really how they kind of. I mean, I feel like that was like what was supposed to be the big shocker and thing that changes that's, it from the norm. You yeah, know, no, that's fantastic. one thing that the first two issues, first few issues, set up a lot of stuff, and it immediately kind of pays it off very quickly and and swiftly to the point where you're like. Where else can it go now, though? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's so many twists and turns in this book. 
um, there's basically two factions in in this mm-hmm. whole thing, which is uh, what is it? Do you, Ridgetown is that one of them? Yeah. So there's Thundervale, which Thundervale, is the yeah. town being drugged by the Thunder Gog. I mean, uh-huh. I just loved so much of the 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 name giving, and mm-hmm. so much of this is so was so fun for me. This whole yeah. book was a lot of fun for me. But yeah, and then I yeah I believe yeah Ridgetown. Yeah, it was the town that had the this gigantic basically galactic laser yeah. powered on the last remaining magic they can manage to find in the world was it the first issue that we see thunder gog out on the horizon Mm -hmm. oh god so yeah see you see that and you're like that's the end that's the end goal right there but no we see it a lot yeah throughout the whole book it's like issue three it's like attacking the town yeah Yeah, it's such an important uh, and exactly this is such a fantastic story and it has all these insane gigantic elements a town Mm -hmm. being drugged by a giant you know things like that but it's all still so introspectively told mm-hmm. i mean all, most of this book the dialogue or the monologues you know the is done as a diary you know by mm-hmm. that our main character which i think is such a more personal way to write this gigantic fantastical story instead yeah. of being very like once again it's almost an anti-tolkien instead of being like the lord of the rings and be like hey let's be about 70 characters across this insane <laughs> i mean let's test that shock mount a sane um board you yeah know, it's like no matter how crazy the story gets or how big the scale of the story gets, it's still pretty much just about hum. You know, this cowardly bard that we have, you know, he's not even like really a hero. He's just kind of a guy doing pretty much pretty shitty stuff for the sake of his wife. You know what I mean? He's so I wanted to talk about hum, um, but we'll get into it just, Mm -hmm. just a second. I just wanted to talk about um, when you first get a good look at Thundervale Mm -hmm. and you're very up and close with the, the thunder gog and, Mm -hmm. and all that the town rolling on these giant wheels has to offer. It's almost like um, Mad Max, Mag, Mag, Maxian. Um, But then it's also like that, uh, what is it, mortal engines or some yeah, shit like that, where absolutely. it's like towns on wheels, you know? It's it, like a weird mesh of, yeah, those yeah. things mixed into like a yeah, Lord of the Rings or something with the magic and the yeah, elves and the um, orcs. What is, what is uh, Circa's mount's name? Is it Cox? That's a good question. I yeah. think it's Cox. We'll go with Cox. Um, he is, what is he? He's Because one thing I loved about this book is all of everybody rides mounts that are all of everything there is no like set there is that whole part where they do describe him you know they like mm-hmm. give a full pretty long description of the type of animal he is but he's like one of those red-faced baboons i you think see he's a sitting, baboon yeah, but sitting he... in the hot water you know the saunas all the yeah. time that's what he looks like but i think his bottom half is wheels yeah is that right he's fucking crazy looking he's it... like a chariot right? yeah you know, he's... You know? exactly yeah um i really liked him a lot i think he's so cool i love all the mounts honestly mm-hmm. and how like loyal they were like because you see there's another character named um notch and she rides several mounts mm-hmm. because several mounts of hers Just die getting slaughtered through the, the book yeah but like the first time you see her is is pretty early on and in, in, i think it's issue three or something like that and she's riding a boar maybe mm-hmm. and it's it's fucking awesome looking and when i saw that thing die it was tragic to me because i was like i want more of that guy and then the second time we see her she's riding like a fucking komodo dragon or something it's so dope yeah it's like i really would have loved to have been in the room with matthias Bergera when he was kind of like drawing out a lot uh-huh. of these ideas because he exactly obviously had so much fun with a lot of the art the, design exactly. the, the character models i mean one of my favorite things is when circa gets pissed you know what i mean like yep. that full physical change that he does so let's talk about the urkin yeah. so they're they're this race that 
that were created to what battle they were created to have a war i mean they were they're like the the orc you know they're mm-hmm. just created to you know be an army to destroy the world or take over the world they're yeah. born of nothing but warfare you know and and they they their physical bodies change with rage see i think she's even like an upper class version of them that have like that berserker rage inside mm-hmm. of them i don't think it's like all of them it's just like a oh, small okay so she's like she's like a part she of is a, she is like part of like an elite force exactly yeah. that have that berserker rage inside of them because yeah they're like referred to as berserkers yeah, yeah. and so at, at the beginning of this book it, it goes off of uh the idea that Hum has a wife and she's been held captive. And that's just his poetic way of explaining that she is Urkin and that her captor is the demon, he calls it. Yeah. Her rage Which inside of her. Which is not even anything literal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like her, that side of her that likes to rage and wage war. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that comes a lot with um, him being a bard. Is mm-hmm. that he, it's it, the fact that he's a bard, especially with the first few issues it is almost like an unreliable narrator because he tells you a lot up forward. Mm -hmm. You are shown a lot right at the beginning and you come to realize like, oh, maybe I shouldn't take literally everything he says verbatim. You know what I mean? Because a lot of what he says is, um, like I said, like a poetic look Mm -hmm. at how this could be explained um, on paper, I guess. Um, So he has issues with her being Urkin and submitting to the rage because it takes her away from him sometimes. Yeah. So we start idea. to learn that his ideas or his desires are pretty selfish. Yeah. yeah. He's like wanting to keep her around. And so. and he thinks that that what he wants is mutually beneficial for both of them. Yeah. Which, you know, we, we learn isn't entirely true. And so we, you know, his whole quest through during that first, you know, good half of the book is that he wants to, you know, create a potion that mm-hmm. will take away that berserker side of her and just let her just be calm all the time, be the yeah. part of her that stays with him. How you did you I mean? feel about that? His intentions during the first portion of this book? I think this book is incredible. I really do. I highly recommend this to anyone because I was pretty, once again, pretty blown away by the storytelling. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a, it's such an understandable story. I mean, wouldn't you do that for your wife? I mean, even, I mean, wouldn't you think you're doing the best thing for her by taking this like horrible rage from Mm -hmm. her and stopping her from basically turning into the fucking Hulk all the time and going out, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, I totally understand where he's coming from and it's such an understandable story to tell that, that, man doing wrong in the name of right because that is really what hum is struggling through through a yes, lot of it is yeah. like he you know we hear him have this dialogue of like is it you know a bad turn if it, it is for good you know is yeah. you know is, and is it still bad you know yeah. and he struggles with those thoughts and that's why i really love once he gets the elf's the elf's head yes because it becomes a literal conscious of physical yep. conscious for him when he's carrying it around where it's like hey are you doing the right thing are you doing this for her are you yeah doing so let's talk yourself? about the elf um one thing about this is it's very anti-tolkien like you were saying all, all of the everything has been renamed to be for this universe mm-hmm. like the Urks are the orcs the there's gnome mads <laughs> instead of gnomes <laughs> Um, there's, uh, ilfs spelt Y L F instead of elves, elves. Um, and, and there is the idea of this world is, is we live in a, in a world called after the quench and the deserts are called, what are they called? Perch, Mm -hmm. like parched, parch, is it parch? I don't know. Um, regardless, it's this, 
this post-apocalyptic, you know, fairy tale yeah, land. It's Mad Max, Lord of the Rings. Because yeah, because it's and it's like a world where all the magic has been taken away. Exactly. And from our understanding, I guess the elves or the elves were the source, source. of magic in this world. And, and so, so all we have left is their artifacts and the little bit of um, what is it called? A uh, Aker or a Aker. Aker. Yeah, Aker, yeah, okay, Aker. yeah. And so Aker is like a type of green ooze, mm-hmm. like Ninja Turtle ass. It's like magic residue. I mean, it's yeah. the best way to really describe but it. But it's, it's, like it's either injected or drank, and and um, it's it's their source of magic now that there are no ilves left. And we find out in Ridgetown, mm-hmm. we should find out the name of this fucking. I'm pretty sure Ridgetown sounds right. Okay, to me, but, I'll, but I'll yes, there is a mayor there. Do you remember her name? It's only said a handful of times, yeah. um, but she has a, what she calls um, an infinite reservoir of a uh, acker. Acker, and it's because she's bleeding dry, an imprisoned ilf. And bleeding dry being a nice way to put really what they're doing <laughs> to that poor guy. But it, since he's magic, he regenerates, and so they have him captive. And at one point in the story. Hum takes it upon himself to try and steal the infinite reservoir by taking the elf's head, thinking that that is where the the, magic comes from. But we find out it comes from his heart. So at that point, he's basically carrying around a a shrinking head that is, as the head's shrinking, it's actually starting to speak more and more logically. Did you notice that throughout the story? That. As it's shrinking, it, it's it's starting to to actually stop being insane from yeah. torture and start actually make sense. Yeah. Exactly, um, and so that's that's a big catalyst in this story is the fact that there is this elf and that everyone wants him pretty much um, because he's the last source of magic. I mean, he's the yeah. last true source of like consistent magic, you know. And so it, to like, I mean, what they're literally doing is cutting limbs from him. You know, they'll mm-hmm. just chop a whole arm off for some then, am- quick ammo. You know what I mean? And exactly. Then it just grows back because they're, I guess, they were these crazy immortal beings, which makes you wonder how the Urken wiped all of them out. You know, but that's true. Um, yeah, Ridgetown was totally right. I'm still okay. trying to figure out this lady's name. It's Mayor Wanda Satlark. Oh yeah, one, Satlark. Yeah, one Wanda Satlark. Yeah, yeah. So Satlark is is the um sometimes antagonist mm-hmm. what this this story really this story does is full of anti-heroes yes is really what it comes down to because what it, what it sets up is essentially two antagonists that are sometimes allies and then a third secret antagonist you know what i mean um because we have uh the the woman notch mm-hmm. and she's basically kind of the head or she's near the top of of thunder uh, Thunder. What is it? Thundervale. Yeah, Thundervale. I mean, I would say she is Thundervale's like at least top, like top elite person for us. Sergeant. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, we see her as the main captain or try exactly you know, but, fighting force for them. Um, one thing that everyone in this story has a finish line, and Hums is changing his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, Hum, that but that story of him changing his wife is basically. The idea of it is like taking her out of the fantasy element. You know what I mean? He is a bard that doesn't want to play D anD D anymore. Yeah, pretty much. Is he what... hates the word quest. You know, that's one of yeah. my favorite things about this. It's one of the clips I took. Is yeah. when you know he's he's like, please don't say the Q word. Yeah, you know? like because he just hates the idea of like the stuff before. You know, this exactly. standard you know nonsense of going on quests and yeah. And so he he wants to be removed from the fantasy world 
as the best that he can while everyone else around him loves everything about fantasy. Everyone has a duty uh, to the point where, you know, Thundervale wants to take over and, and take the reservoir of, of Ridgetown. Matt, yeah. And then Ridgetown wants to destroy Thundergod to defend their reservoir. Of exactly. And then, um, and then you have his wife more than anyone who feels an honor bound to, defeat the what are they called the wit lord the wit lord so the wit lords in in um in myth or i guess not in myth but more mythology i guess i don't know um they created the urken yeah is that i mean the idea? it's essentially like they're the source a uh, group of evil sorcerers mm-hmm. who decided to take over the world and all came together and created this entire species of creature to fight their battle for yeah. it. and they're just a bunch of powerful sorcerers and like crazy battle armor you know they and, look but incredible through it all they also were all slaughtered and killed you know it's like or vanished for whatever reason yeah Yeah. so like they are also all gone to so you know the idea of one being around and running so the idea is that there is a whitlord as the captain of thundervale charging thundergog to do his bidding basically and so upon hearing that um circa decides that that is her quest um and so yeah i just love the idea that everyone has a very cut and dry idea of what they need to get done in this comic. And hum is like, I'm going to postpone your thing for just a moment. So I can try to get one <laughs> inch closer to my thing. <laughs> and that's basically this whole book. You yeah. know what I mean? He desperately wants to be removed from this world. Yeah. And it, and he feels like by just doing this one last thing that requires so much, mm-hmm. you, you know, and to pull his wife out of it, he can finally be done with it. You know I mean? It's such a selfish desire, but you know, it, it's such an amazing story setup. You know what I mean? Cause you're exactly right. It makes so much, it makes everybody's motives make sense. There's nobody who I feel like you don't want to almost side with, you know what I yeah. mean? Everybody's got a good motive. Everybody in the story is an anti-hero in their own kind of way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? No one's totally, doing right you know and i mean even down to circa who is kind of the most noble person in this story but yeah. even still isn't totally right and it's actually kind of truly born of evil you know mm. if you think about it and is but kind I mean, of selfish. That's, that's a lot of her her like antithesis or mm. not that's what she's trying to do fight against is is the idea that she is this and she's coming to or she has already come to mm-hmm. terms, come to with, terms with that she is this evil well creation. in quotes yeah, in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by creation <laughs> no but to go back to like the kind of the exactly like the anti fantasy element that you know hum's always kind of doing that's one of my favorite things from that first issue is when he gets invited to the paladin of the peace guards oh, yes. and he just laughs his ass off at him you know what mm-hmm. i mean and then what an issue Three issues later, we have Circa in the same situation and him just behind her like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Which I also love whoever did the lettering for this mm-hmm. because that's there's, some, there's, there's so much beautiful detail to the lettering and the fact that you know when someone's talking quieter mm-hmm. by the way it was done or the, you know, the, or the way more that different, feels- in, like where in, in literature you would see it in parentheses mm-hmm. as like, well, or this, but that's not what we're talking about. It's, there's a lot of that with the grayed out text. Yeah. I was really, I was really impressed and I wish I saw that more in comics in general you know yeah. what i mean you do see it but not nearly as well or as much as i saw in this comic which i was really impressed by you know no, yeah. so it's like from exactly the the writing to the to the dialogue mm-hmm. to the artwork i mean everything about this was so neatly done i'm incredibly impressed and proud of these guys for making this you know what yeah. i mean i'm sad that it took me two years to, to read, read it, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. um so i have this question um 
Simon Spirier, let's say hypothetically, because he is a writer, do you feel that in a lot of ways Hum is himself? And maybe this is more a personal story about him coming to terms with his own wife, maybe? maybe. I don't want to put too much on his doorstep, but yeah. but like this feels so personable. Absolutely. I mean, there, it is a very personal story, and I could feel like I could believe a lot of... Uh, I mean, there had to be something personal, obviously, mm-hmm. drawn from this, you know what I mean, to create something like this. Um, and so who knows, you know, yeah. truly where Simon Spurrier came up with it. But I really feel like a lot of the inspiration behind this was to try to make something as anti-Tolkien or, you know, like anti-traditional mm-hmm. fantasy as they really could. They're like, let's do fantasy, but without magic. Let's yeah. do, you know, the the a hero, but he's not a hero. He's a coward who lies to everyone and is mm-hmm. just manipulating everyone to get a really selfish desire. And he's married to the worst species there is in this story. You know what yeah. I mean? But who happens to be a badass? But who is the greatest character in this book? You yeah. know what I mean? Let's make exactly the heroes or the leaders on both sides of the story totally rational and understanding on why they would be fighting their battles. You know, yeah. let's just change the, so change did the whole you, narrative. Did you personally feel like Ridgetown had a good uh, motive? Do you feel like that they were in the right? Because I... I almost immediately felt like something was off about them. I think for where this story puts all of these characters in mm-hmm. this post magic world where yeah. magic was obviously everything. And now the last drops of magic are everything. Mm-hmm. It It's not necessarily right so much as rational, if that makes okay. sense. It's what would be the evil, you know what I mean? The evil thing so, that yeah. people would rationalize in their minds. You know what I mean? Do you Why would the world you... needs magic? No, I think that's kind of a big part of Hum's point in all of it is that none of it's necessary. And he's frustrated that they're all still doing this. He's like, everything's changed and nothing's changed. He says that so much through the story, you know, that like all all this should be done. None of this should even be happening anymore. But here we are, you know, like (laughs) Um, doing it still. (laughs) That was a sick catch. (laughs) Ninja. Are you ready for the boys? Oh, yeah, dude. Fuck. Yeah. Popped that shit. Um, do you want to take a quick break and then when we'll come back, we'll we'll finish up our talk on on uh, Coda. Break it up. All right. guys welcome back hey let's get back to uh talking about a little bit of coda by simon spurrier and matthias Berger. so spurrier that's french right i think he i think he's from britain let's yeah, let's look no, up he more british. he is a british writer okay I do but i that. think spurrier originally i think that's french um uh what does coda mean do we look up the definition yeah. of coda because i think coda has something to do with music does coda oh concluding so it's the end of the main structure and it's with literary or dramatic word work uh according to webster okay that kind of makes sense to the stories thank you thank you webster thank you webster (laughs) um but yeah so let's let's move on with the story um there's the Whitlord. Yeah, let's talk about our antagonist kind of a little bit so like the Whitlords yeah so there's a Whitlord um much like the ilf it it feels like 
there are these long forgotten or, or long extinct species that that happen to exist at you know the versus cities mm-hmm. the versing cities um but there's a witlord in charge of thundervale um and um circa makes it her destiny to try and kill the witlord yeah i mean she's because it's like her big vengeful thing mm-hmm. is that she's she's so pissed of even being created for what they were made for she exactly. feels like she needs to kill all the witlords like for yeah. vengeance for even existing <laughs> <clears throat> which i think is I think out of all of the characters' motives, I think hers is the dopest. I I really love Circa. I think she's a fully... I mean, all the characters are definitely fully fleshed out, but she is more, I think, than anybody. If you were to tell me, like, out of all these characters, who would you read a single comic book about? I would definitely, for sure. She's, like, the one character that, like, has herself fleshed Mm -hmm. out. You know what I mean? Like, she even has come to terms with herself. Exactly. And I would love to read a story about her doing that as Mm -hmm. well. You know, kind of her journey away from Hum this whole time. Just a whole comic about her time in the Everstorm. You know what I mean? Because I fucking loved the Everstorm. And the idea that that's just a giant desert storm that they go out to just fucking rage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a fucking huge, like, desert mosh pit. Um... Um, I'm going to play some metal music right there. Um, but, uh, it's, I love her character. Um, and, and we, she, she decides to try and defeat the Whitlord. So, so with the help of Notch, they're able to infiltrate the captain's quarters of the Thunder, Thunderbale. Thunderbale. Um, within there, we find out the Whitlord was a dud. He's just a bunch of goblins. He's a bunch of goblins stuck in a suit. Um, and we find out that Thundergog himself is actually the one pulling the, the shots mm-hmm. or calling the shots. Once again, once again, like along the only one we see of this species, the giant. And it, and it's funny because his reasoning for having the Whitlord is like, no one would believe I can manage myself. Exactly. So I have to have this, you know, like false, like puppeteer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I thought was sick. And so we, we see the, her reaction to being denied her, her predetermined destiny in mm-hmm. her eyes. Where she sees it as almost like a birthright mm-hmm. in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the beginning of issue, I, I want to say seven is where we see that she has left and she's like, talking to Cox about why she's left. And I think that that was maybe my favorite moment throughout this whole book because it underlines exactly, um, you know, hums, you know, faults of trying to change her and her knowing that she is herself. Yeah. There, there, Kenny just pulled up the page. Um, and so I, I love that. I love that part because that's something that you would see in a romantic comedy where it's like like oh you know you were fooling me or you weren't telling the truth in some sort of way this is where we come apart from each other and go our separate ways Mm -hmm. and that's a trope taken from that kind of movie and and then perfectly placed in this 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 (laughs) huge fantasy kind of idea you know and i just i loved that because that made it extremely human Mm -hmm. you know what i mean where there's this idea that um you know a lot of songs that people can relate to is is when it's about love because everyone loves um the the opposite is action movies where it's like love is just like that's the girl i save her that's the end you know what i mean and so this 
plays both parts extremely well. I mean, you this is I mean? a romance. At, it, the, at the at the end of the day, exactly, this book is a is a romance. Exactly. It is it is a weird Romeo and Juliet set into an insane pentacore <clears throat> giant falling apart, yep. you know, Terran elves apart kind of world. And it's so Did fantastic. Did you say Terran elves apart? Mm-hmm. Terran elves apart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they're tearing Elvis apart there too. There's a lot there of hints. But a hound dog. There's a lot of hints in this um in this story that this could be like a weird world that takes place after our world. Because mm-hmm. you see a magic or not a magic eight ball, but you see a, a billiards eight yeah. ball. And then there's another phrase that someone says that was like, Oh, that's way too modern to have been like you know yeah, you know what i mean no there's like weird little easter eggs to our reality exactly yeah, yeah. this is some time way in the future once we've yeah kind of like isn't that what um adventure time is yes yeah actually that is also exactly what adventure time is <laughs> i love that idea where it's like things fall apart here and it turns into fantasy it world. turns into the goofy fantasy world with yeah. gumball people and, you know like <laughs> Yeah. The whole candy nation. Yeah, but can you imagine if that was how the apocalypse would go? I think that's a little bit more optimistic than how the I, situation would genuinely go. Yeah. Yeah. But this would be like a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, because it's, so it's twice over if that's the idea. Um, so at this point, Hum is uh, he's rewriting his journals. Mm-hmm. And I love this transition because this is the point where I feel like his writing changes where mm-hmm. before it was exactly, it was very bardy. It was very like, exactly. uh, self, you know, like we, it was almost like a false, um, a narrative, narrator, a narrator, like you said before. And that plays into our secret antagonist mm-hmm. a lot. So, um, we find out that these two warring cities that doesn't matter because the, the strings are all being pulled by the Mercrone, mm-hmm. which is like a, um, she's the, she's a mermaid queen. Yeah. But she she's, was. she's kind of like a mob boss kind of like, you, oh, well, you yeah. come to me, I'll give you what you need. You owe me a debt, you know, yeah, kind of shit. Absolutely. She's like, yeah, like a, I mean, a mob boss is a good way to put it, but she's the one that has all the connections. She yeah. gets you the things you need. Exactly. <laughs> and so the gun in um ridgetown uses this uh special steel or no it's iron yeah iron but the iron was hexed and that's where murkrone comes into play because Mm -hmm. it destroys the the gun essentially and she's already made a deal with the with thunder god that he would come and break the mountain open to to release the water. Yeah. Because I guess it's a dam or something like that. And, and it'll it, flood Ridgetown. Because exactly. she has like babies or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, what her story is, is that when <clears throat> the quench happened, there's a whole ocean that basically got the gravity got flipped. Oh. And so all of her eggs were on the bottom of it. Oh. And so now they're stuck on dry land. Yeah. And they're just too sensitive to be moved. They're all on a ship, too. They're oh, all, yeah. They were all She's like building a sunken, like this. Yeah. They were all in like a sunken ship underwater. And mm-hmm. yeah, so they're too sensitive to be moved. So she's trying to pay to have magic done to flip the water back to where they are is kind of the idea of wow. what's going on with her the whole time. That that didn't I guess it was my fault for reading it wrong, but that didn't come completely across they didn't there's a lot that it explained i mean in a page and you had to really kind of pick up and so there's a lot of this i read Mm -hmm. multiple times there's at least three of these issues i probably read twice in their entirety because i was like i understood that but i were like now having understood that like read it again you know feeling it you know um Um, but then that was also another dupe because the mercron also played thunder Mm -hmm. um because she was talking about 
what was it, magic bombs mm-hmm. or something like that. And that she was she's like, been using to try to blow through the dam herself. Exactly. And so the idea was that he would come and help her finish the job yeah. once he's gotten the elf from Ridgetown, which he does. And I love the idea that the elf's head is freaking out because he knows that that's what the giant would want. And he would be like an infinite like gobstopper in, <laughs> in the giant's mouth, like continuously giving him a, uh, acker mm-hmm. to, to power him. Cause that's, that's his, his source, obviously. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about all of that? Do you feel like that that was a sudden shift in too sudden a shift in dynamics, or do you think that that was all perfectly played out in how it, it was executed? I think it was perfectly played out in how it was executed because literally from issue one, we are warned against the Murkrone. That's she true. She talks about how Circa doesn't trust her, mm-hmm. how she's someone that can't be trusted and that he's the only one who's ever kind of liked her because she's very poetic like yeah. him. And that's, I mean, that's well, why, they're all both kind of shady characters. Yeah, and as exactly. Well. And she like supports his shadiness and and is supporting this mission to change Circa, which, mm-hmm. you know, is the other big plot twist is that. Oh, it's a potion for it, mind control. It's a, po- you know, once he because that's one thing we didn't mention on is that uh, part of the reason she gets so upset when Circa gets so upset with Hum is that, you he know, in to- that moment where she realizes she's been, you know, that Whitlord isn't real. She's been denied. He, yeah. He's like, here, look, I made this for you. Please take it. And it's she's an antidote to her rage. Yeah. And she's like, I don't even want that shit. I like being <laughs> like this. I thought you liked me too. Yeah, I she, like me. Exactly. And she's like, and if this wouldn't have happened, would you just slip that shit in my drink at like some point? At night or, yeah. Without yeah. me even knowing. And or he doesn't, me, yeah. he does his classic, hmm, yeah. which is basically <laughs> like, uh, you're right. You got my ass, you know? God damn it. So, um, I mean, like, and that's, so that's part of the reason she feels so particularly betrayed and it kills Cox. That's the, oh, yeah. that's the, even yeah. The so Cox thing. ends up finding it and is curious. Cause it smells like Circa. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, he, he ends up drinking it and that's when she realized is oh there's something else is at play here mm-hmm. um there's that issue there, there's that page there's that panel where the two older women are there with circa and cox is like full like rampage mode at that point because he's finally like been submitted to the mind control yeah and they just punch him on either side of his head that because like they're just these little old women <laughs> and then in one for one panel, <laughs> there are these massive, like, fucking Herculean, like, fucking, like, bronze statues just smashing Cox's head. And, and then they're back to being, like, you know, wearing their shawls and, Beautiful. like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Um, I mean, this is how you write powerful women. I know that sounds silly, but like, this is really <laughs> how you do it. You know what I mean? You just make it seamless. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the power is there all the time. It's not something mm-hmm. they ever have to like necessarily grow into. It just is there on, you know, just right below think, the surface. I think know, the beauty, she, you know? she definitely benefits from that for being a secondary character that doesn't need to arc. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, the main character being Hum, obviously, who does need to arc, who needs to come to terms with himself for maybe he's not a bard, you know, because he's writing and then he's not writing or something like that. I, I didn't truly get that metaphor because he spends a lot of time with his journal, but mm-hmm. then you see it open and it's blank. Mm-hmm. And it's not until he's ripped out all the pages and writ- wrote on the inside binding that that's when he's finally written something. Actually written something Something down. that matters, Yeah. So you're right. I mean, it, it was all just introspective barding. It was mm-hmm. all just his own, you know, we were really just seeing it from his own person inside of, you know, thoughts. So, I mean, it's like, 
Maybe it's, that's oh, it's a little the shining, just a baby bit of like, yeah, like almost like a habit that's not even real. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, one of those with things. Jack, exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a um a metaphor on the only writing that matters is when it truly comes out from your heart. You know what I mean? Because like all of those other shit, like him talking to himself or him singing the song of like the Urkin's origin to the girl yeah. in, in Ridgetown, like all of that shit was just fluff and, mm-hmm. and duff and it didn't matter really. It wasn't until he was on his last legs or ooh, he's, yeah, he is yeah. a paraplegic. Yeah. Or is it he's, a paraplegic? I mean, he's missing one leg. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, but he he's that's that's when it comes out right for him. You know what I mean? That's when the words finally matter. Absolutely. But anyway, to get back to like the Murkron and how I feel like I I mean, that's what you're we kinda of talking about a little bit. Um, I feel like her setup was fantastic that she was always kind of the enemy. You mm-hmm. know, she was always set up as the antagonist and but it was just like a sleight of hand, you know, she was yeah. like everything else was meant to be like a red herring while she was like the secret boss yeah. setting, you know, playing she's the kingpin. Funny enough, she's basically the kingpin. She is a lot like the kingpin. <laughs> um and so I thought that was really great writing and I thought that even like how she was written was great because in the end she even doesn't care. You know, once she gets her hands on what she wants, it just becomes like any typical and, and power she's, person. You she's know, she's after the like, ilf, just like everyone else's. Mm-hmm. And so she gets her hands on the ilf, you know. Mm-hmm. So she becomes like this, you know, skinny, beautiful version of herself, you know. <laughs> she's she becomes the, the mermaid queen. Yeah, the true mermaid queen. Um yeah, so uh at that point that's that's the you know final battle mm-hmm. where where all sides kind of come together and and they go after the Mercrone. Um Whoa! What is the what is the mayor's name again? I'm just gonna call her Starling. I yeah. can't remember her fucking name. Something Mayor S. Satlick. Satlark. Satlark. Okay. Um, she's still kind of like that's my elf. I need it. And one of the crashing ships because she has like the the Mercrone has these flying ships. One of them come down on her, and I thought that that was a a pretty good ending See, for her. Good. <laughs> oh yeah, Satlark. <laughs> Satlark. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's. It it has a happy ending. It has, Does it? I think so, because um, the ilf, it. What do they do with the ilf's body? They they press it into the dragon, mm-hmm. the di- or the immortal dragon yeah. that's just bones and like Begging rotten scales. Ass. Yeah, and because um, because Hum finally scratched his ass. Yeah, see, that's what I really love that journey that Hum goes on after Circa leaves him, after she's like abandoned yeah. him. He kind of goes on a journey to try to like make things a baby bit better. So like the first the first time we see him, he's under that dragon mm-hmm. and it's like scratch my arse, you know, yeah. and he like <laughs> refuses to do it. And then now at this point in time where he's lost the one thing that really matters to him, he's like more willing to like help others. And, and so we selfless. see him finally scratch its ass and Look how much that pays off for him yeah. in the long run. It's basically the reason he lives is because he scratched that dragon's ass. So, you know, note for the people, always scratch the dragon's ass, you know? <laughs> um, the dragon, it meets its ending inside of a volcano. Is yeah, that- I think it just like flies into a volcano or something. It's like, ah, uh, finally scratching yeah. my arse and then it just sinks into it the volcano. sinks into the lava, <laughs> probably wanting to have died all this time, you know? So what is the last page of this book? It's... It's where They're he kind of together tells the, on on the old nag. Yeah, I really love the end of this story because we get that whole kind of final little ending 
tale that he gives us. It's like oh, another yeah. little rhyme where he tells us like everybody lived happily ever after. But then we see Circa and him on the nag, and she's like, "Why tell the, the end of the story? We don't even know, you know." Like yeah. I, we don't, and he's like, "Well, it's supposed to end optimistically." I mean, so that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like a, it's like a because well, the idea satirically is, optimistic ending. You well, know what I mean? Maybe I don't think I so because the Mercrone is they talk a lot about how history will perceive them mm-hmm. and that that's his whole like n- like a uh, necessary existence to her is that he will write her historical tale yeah he'll write her positively into exactly. history as like a hero instead of a monster yeah. and so in the end he does that but vice versa you know what i mean he writes her as the you know the tyranny yeah. that she was and then and and that's all that matters to him at that point because it doesn't it they get to live the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. It's what history has after is what he's yeah. set up, basically. You know what I mean? Regardless of how it ends. But I, I think it was a good ending. I don't, I, we're like, because where would the satire be at that point? <laughs> I guess I don't mean satirical so much as like open ended. Okay. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the future's not for sure. You know, no oh. one, including a bard, could even tell you where yeah. the world will go from here. You know what I mean? It so. makes you, it makes you think about, actual history mm-hmm. like how much of what we know as fact is true you know what i mean um and i, I guess that 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 can exist that there is a lot of in incorrect facts in in history books today um but yeah overall i think that this is a great read i think it's i don't know stupendous i don't know it's 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 a beautiful book matthias bergara's work is phenomenal um do you have any more to to work off of that no, I, I mean, it's I very was, mobius yeah i started really excited and i mean i want to end really excited with the fact that i was exact it's very mobius it's very eset rivik as far mm-hmm. as matthias bagar's artwork goes but i mean simon spurrier i feel like really came up with a fun unique story that a- appeals to a big audience because you like romance read this book yeah <laughs> you like crazy ass <laughs> fantasy read this book you want to see some crazy ass artwork read this book you know yeah. like it's got so much to offer for everyone that um i'm i mean i think that uh what is it it's boom right yes boom studios like, hell yeah boom good job picking this book up <laughs> like this was this was a great one this was genuinely a fantastic read and makes me definitely interested to read some of simon spurrier's like marvel work and oh like he, has he worked with marvel mm-hmm. oh okay so, i didn't even know that um, I know that he wrote uh, not too long ago. He wrote Hellblazer for mm-hmm. DC. Yeah, he had a lot of he's, he kind of jumps. He had a lot of DC work, but he's got a little bit in both. But either way, um, read Coda. Yeah, read that's what Coda. I take away from this. So I think that that's more important than than anything we've said. This this whole podcast True. is read Coda. Read Coda. Um, how would you compare it to something like Saga? Do you feel like that there are, because Saga is also like a like an anti-fantasy at yeah, the same absolutely. time. I think Saga is a little bit based more around family versus romance, if that makes oh, sense. Okay. It's more about the ideology of like family as a whole versus mm-hmm. like your individual lover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, obviously, you know me, I'm big on Saga. We're definitely going to do a, yeah. a, a episode at some point on Saga so you can catch yes. up. Um, but I think that this is really good because it's so much more condensed mm-hmm. for Saga is obviously a much bigger story that's still yeah. got a long way to go. This is such a great short read that gives you kind of everything you want in the 12 issues and leaves, leaves you wanting more, but leaves, 
but leaves how you satisfied would, at the same time. How would you time. feel if there was a second? I think you're right. I think just a circus standalone about times where she's alone or like, yeah, mm-hmm. learning to accept herself would be the, the best thing that they could do. So you wouldn't want a direct this. sequel to no, this? No, I, w- I don't. I would be fine to never see even see Hum again or just have mm-hmm. Hum as like a fun little Easter egg pop up in like an issue or something, was there, you know? Was there ever a moment where you hated Hum? No, I, that's why I think some of this writing was so great is that I could always rationalize with what Hum was doing as even in the most wicked of times, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I could see why he was doing what he was doing. You know, love is a powerful driving force that we'll do stupid shit for, you know? So, yeah. um, and I mean, like one thing I was going to ask you is how did you feel about Circa forgiving him? Do you feel like that? Like, I feel like that that was justified. I feel like that that, that makes sense. Um, I think that she loves him. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless like um yeah i mean i i don't feel like because he obviously wrote the note saying that he didn't didn't that understand that if oh, i will really? the note is what made me cry dude like literally like the first part of it i was just like oh. <laughs> because we know what's going on with him too you know we yeah. didn't talk too much about the end of the book funny enough you know he gets turned into one of freaking the Marcron zombies you know yeah. and then he's just like has literally become the forced enemy yeah um I was curious. I didn't. I know when he fed himself the scorpion to make himself throw up. They didn't really specify that, right? No. That was just one thing we were just supposed to be like, oh, I guess he at some point gave there himself was, the throw up scorpion. There was a fleeting thought that I had where I was like, oh, did one of the archers shoot it into his mouth? Yeah. But I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, no, there's a poisonous for the re, for the yeah. listener. There's a poisonous. Um, scorpion scorpion that, we that get makes you vomit, yeah. and so it, the idea is that he vomits up the zombie potion. Um, how do you feel about um there was one part where I did dislike hum What's that? and that's when Notch's father is this crazy oh, yeah. wizard that's always high on uh Acker <laughs> and he's like hid away in this this uh cave somewhere mm-hmm. there's so much more to this book that we didn't even, even touch on yeah. I mean it's a huge book in 12 issues and that's I mean it's so great so. yeah but he takes the last bit of Acker that that the the wizard has because he needs it for um the pentacorn Mm -hmm. he injects the pentacorn to make it like run and and dash and berserk harder um which that was another scene that fucked me up was when he gave him like way too much and then the it seemed like the old nag was gonna die like Mm -hmm. he was fucked up on the floor bleeding out of his mouth and that's when he went into the storm right to find uh circa to find circa yeah so when okay. he's being chased, he's, I mean, he's being chased down. And so it's like to outrun everyone. He like overfeeds. Yeah. The yeah. Nag. Yeah. That part bummed me out a lot too. Dude, he makes a lot of, like, he does make a lot of poor decisions. I mean, and it's definitely, I feel like they, they really were trying to drive home like the selfishness of mm-hmm. his decisions in the first half of that. And that's basically the climax of it, you yeah. know, leading up to that exact moment, you know? Um, so yeah, his selfishness, it, it, it hurts reading it. But it's extremely important to the story because it's it's what drives the story forward, for sure. Um, I think. I, do you think have anything it. you want to talk about? No. Okay. I yeah. think I know exactly how I want to end this episode. Today, okay. So what? Um, what's and that? it's going to be with the words that control the nag. You know. Oh. Which is that you know, Ian, you are the prettiest boy there is. <laughs> And what a beautiful touch to a giant monster being controlled by such a beautiful sentence. He sprouts wings in the end. Oh. He becomes a, what is it, a Pegasus yeah. pentacorn? I forgot what they even call him, but it's something crazy. Megacorn. He's yeah. just a, he's corn. He's, he's just badass. 
<laughs> he is badass. Um, well, thank you guys for being here uh, for this episode. Did we decide what we're going to do after Black Panther next week? Next week, we're doing Black Panther um, Man Without Fear. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And then after that, what what did we decide? Did we decide anything yet? Oh, Invincible. I think we Invincible. were talking about Invincible. The first three issues of Invincible. And then we'll also talk about... The show. Yeah. Do you know how many episodes of Invincible there's believe, going to be? I believe right now there's five. Okay. Out, yeah, at the time of recording this. Yeah. At the time of recording this, there's five you, out. I'm not sure how many. You let's can look on let's IMDb, find that out right? right now. Do, 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 do. Just kidding. Um, we muddle through, Ian. Those are the final words of this book. And I feel like they... uh kind of fit through the stories perfectly there's going to be eight apparently oh so we just have a few more okay so so maybe wait until you want to wait till the show's yeah we'll wait until the show's done and then we'll do invincible so then i guess what should we do next i don't know we can let them know let's figure it out on on air let's just do it let's figure it out on air well i mean we have redneck by donny cates that i'm a little curious to do which is the texas vampire i just want to do i think that's fun how many issues is that i don't know i just have the one right there you just just pull it out of the stack. I just have a giant stack. Of it's one novels. through six. Do you think that? I think it, that would be fine. Let's do just think, do that. Do you think that that's enough? Do you think that's enough of the story? You want to see how much she's collected? Because I, I know there's way more than this for sure. I imagine. I'd rather read something a little bit that has a little bit more of a finality at the end of it. I get that. So that that definitely leaves on a cliffhanger. Oh, I know what I want to read. What? I want to read Marvel 2-in-1 by Chip Zdarsky. Ooh, I, I'm down for some Zdarsky. That okay. Sounds like fun. So, yeah. that's Your number what one fan on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be what we read next after Black Panther, Man Without Fear. Um, okay. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, please come back next time. Yeah, thank you all so much. We will uh, see you then. And we will see you on another time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.